there was a problem in Bubbaville. And it seems that the, well, I guess junior high age girls, eighth and ninth graders, were just playing a little joke as they would go to the girls' restroom and put on their lipstick and kiss the mirror and leave their lips on it. Now, as it only could happen in Bubbaville, as Bubba took the part-time position of the school custodian, he would go in for a couple of hours in the evening. And boy, did he loathe having to get all that lipstick off that mirror. So he complained to the principal, principal, we got to stop this. And he goes on and on and on, principal, let me just talk to them. And a week passes by, the principal goes by all the classes, no change. Goes to all the teachers, tells the principal, tells all the teachers, you got to tell the girls to stop it. They don't stop. Finally, Bubba calls back and says, you bring them out in that restroom tomorrow morning, all them girls in there, and I'll stop this thing right there. Principal said, well, I've tried everything else, might as well bring them. So at that time, after homeroom time, he brings all the girls down at restroom area, they're crowded outside the door, and there's Bubba. And principal gets all the girls' attention. Listen, I want all you girls to stop doing kissing them mirrors. Principal says, we're going to show you just how much strain and work Bubba has to do every time he cleans that mirror. And Bubba took out his long-handled squeegee, dips it in the toilet, and begins to scrub that mirror. <laughs> And that's how Bubba solved the problem. <laughs> how do you say, thank you, thank you. Occasionally, even a blind pig finds an acorn now and then, right? But look, how do you handle problems and stress? How do you, I've got this jack damn, no, it's not. See, I freaked you out, didn't I? <laughs> it's not, it's, it's Arizona, it's Arizona brand um, tea. It's actually called RX Stress Relief Elixir, right? An elixir. It's got to work. Got to know that. Um, this particular one is cool. I have it because uh, some dear people, I know I collect oddities, brought this. Because this company, Arizona, was founded by a couple of guys in New York. They had some other bottling things going. They found this in 19, this company in 1992. And it didn't make very much money. It started to make some. In 2017, the latest that I could find, um, I think it sold $3 billion. <laughs> Billion. B with, with a B there. But this one is from, this bottle's dated from 1992. Little did they know what would happen with that thing from that day and time. And it's unopened. Would you drink it, Pastor? Would you drink with a hot dog, I wouldn't. No, I'm just kidding. Had a hot dog. No, I wouldn't drink it. Just kind of cool. I need to contact those guys and say, I've got an unopened bottle of your thing from back then. Perhaps you'd like to make it for a donation to Lawndale Baptist Church. All right, buy it. I mean, anyway, um, it's a stress, it says stress relief. How to handle your problems. Today's message has to do with it. one word that deals with um, God. It's called meanwhile. So I want to ask you today. How big is your problems? Do you have big problems and a little God? Today, as we go right into our message here today, from uh, Genesis 37, we find Joseph has had his brothers betray him. 
They wanted to kill him. Reuben stands up and says, no, throw him in an empty cistern. They throw him in there. Reuben's plan was to go back and to get him and save him and bring him back to his father. But meanwhile, Judah comes along and says, look, we can't do this thing. We can't kill our brother. Let's just leave and let him, as they thought, starve to death in that thing. This way there's no blood on our hands. What what a kind thing, right? Let's let him starve to death and all. Anyway, so that's where we leave off, and they sell him eventually by impeccable timing to a caravan that's coming through at that particular time that's going on their way to Egypt about 1,000 kilometers away, 600-plus miles. So there we go. We have the story. That's what happened. Now, meanwhile, it says in verses 31 and 32, then they got Joseph's robe right? Slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. Because we have no idea. Could that be Joseph's robe? Dad? What a horrible thing. What a gross thing. And you see, they have this slaughtered goat, and they think they're going to fool somebody with this thing. Bring up the next slide. Thank you. We're going to move along pretty good. And we find out this is what they do to try and clear themselves. They devise a plan, obviously, dip it in the blood, and we'll say we found a thing. We didn't even even recognize it. It could, Could this be Joseph? You think the brother didn't know what that coat was. Of course. And let me ask you something. That word examine you see in the book of Genesis, that Hebraic word, is a word that has more of an accounting term. Really look at this thing to make sure it's your son's coat. Do you think that Jacob didn't know that was his son's coat? Do you? What a farce that is. Sometimes when you're trying to cover up yourself, you look really stupid. Okay? Genesis 3.12, we see that what people do to clear themselves, it's all part of our DNA, it's our flesh. People do lots of things to clear themselves. We go all the way back to the first couple of people on the face of the earth. Genesis 3.12, the man said, the woman, you, it's a middle reflexive idea for the you, you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Everything was fine, God. I was here alone in peace in my man thing down here. Then you, out of all people, sent me her. But you see, God not going to win a chess with God. God let Adam see all the other animals and saw that it wasn't good for him to be alone. Do you think God didn't know it wasn't good for Adam to be alone? So why does he not give him a bait at this very start? Because he wanted him to recognize, I want someone to be with you. So in the prayer of Adam, as he, God knows his heart, and he sees the other ones that have their mates, he sends him one. He prays and then complains about what God does. Thank God we never do that. We never do that, right? So that's what Adam, that he blames God, goes on to the next one. And the Lord said to the woman... What is this you have done? The woman said, I'm just going to own it. I just saw that thing and I wanted to be like you. No. What does she say? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and, and I ate. See? None of this reflects back on us, God. It's either you 
or the devil or someone else, but not us. People do lots of things to clear themselves. And today you may be doing something to try and clear yourself that no one else may know about except you and God. Because in that place in your heart, you know that you've hidden something. Something is hidden in there. Think, I'll get away with it. I want to tell you something. These guys thought they devised a plan they could get away with. You see, because God knows. Meanwhile, God. Now, let's keep going. Nothing is concealed from God. Period. Job 31.33 says, If I have concealed my sin, as men do, by hiding my guilt in my heart. You see, when you hide something inside, you think people can't see it. Well, many times people can't. Sometimes they can. It's quite transparent. But God can see it. That's the bottom line. And ultimately, what's crazy about it, the crazy dynamic when you think about what these brothers have done, right? They're trying to hide it. They take the robe. They, they, they think they've covered themselves. They dip it in blood. That, is, this, is this your son's robe? We, we happen to find this. Out of all the open territory there is, we came across the robe and all this blood on it. Nothing is concealed from God. Luke eight seventeen. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed will not be known or brought out into the open. So here they devise their plan. Do what we want to do. And what's crazy is ultimately, ultimately, the hidden sins of the brothers would become public knowledge and exposed to millions of people over thousands of years. Do you think the brothers were thinking, man, I don't know about doing this thing. What if thousands and thousands of years later, lots of people are looking in this thing called the Bible and they see what we have done? Well, think about it. Thousands of years have passed. We know what these guys were thinking and what they did. Millions of people, thousands of years, they couldn't have possibly thought it. Meanwhile, God. Is it your son's robe? Of course. I think I, you know, if I'm just Jacob, I'm going to say, you think I'm an idiot? Think I didn't know what his robe is? This special robe? Try and play that game with me. What a horrible thing. It's purposeful intent to hurt their father even further. I can't help but believe Jacob understood something's going on here. Something's going on. Because remember, the father does keep close to his heart Joseph's dreams. He, he kind of scolds him some for it, but he keeps it close to his heart because Joseph was a good son. Wasn't a tattletale. He told his, brother, his father and his brother were doing evil. They were hurting the family name, hurting the cause of Jehovah, and he does the right thing. And there's times, parents... You want to know if your children are doing something that has crossed over a line. We didn't want to know everything, but there's some things we wanted to know, right? They're doing something to hurt themselves. You want to know it. And he tells their father, look, these guys have done that. They didn't like that either. They really hated him. Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it is written. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And so rather than take the brothers, rather than take their issue, you know, we have a problem with our father. He got my brother this, he gets that. It wasn't Joseph's fault. And Jacob, yes, and, and, and as far as fairness goes, how do you treat a dozen or so people fairly? He said there was a child of his old age. You think they'd be glad since there was a big gap in their age. Look, dad's got a great, he got the son toward the end of life. I with Rachel, he enjoys them. Praise God for that. Thank God. 
See, sometimes we're just not happy for other people, are we? Because it affects us. But if we were the one that got the robe, then it would be fair. But anyway, we have this great story, this human drama that unfolds. This is a story of humanity. And we see what takes place. But God says, do not take revenge. I'll repay. And so we have in our hearts some place that we can hide this guilt and sin that I'll passive-aggressively take my revenge. And there may be some in this room holding something from childhood. Right in this room. That you heard or said or something happened and you still keep it back there. You hold it back there because it feels good. It's your, it's your ace. It's your ace of spades. Something can happen. I always have this to excuse myself. The robe dipped in blood. In Genesis 37, meanwhile, God, 33 and 34, he recognized it and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph surely has been torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. How could you do that to your father? And I tell you how. You take something, revenge on yourself, go ahead and do a horrible thing like that to their father. Their father looks at it, and it's just a horrible thing to see. See, the brothers are filled with so much self-deceit. And they're eaten up with so much anger because of their own pain. They want to inflict it on someone else. So look what Jacob has to deal with now. Day after day, the vision of his beloved son being torn to pieces. No doubt there's been people in this room that have suffered the indignity of having a child precede them in death people in this room right now and in our church. I, I don't know of a harder thing. Psychologists tell us it is the number one cause of divorce beyond all others because of some of the issues that come from that. I'm not going to go into all of that, but it's horrible. But there's other issues in life that we have that are problematic that may keep us up at night. And I wonder as, Joseph, as Jacob would lie there at night And couldn't help to have that vision come back again of some animal coming up to his son and mauling him to death. And then thinking, you know, added to his grief of the idea that he assisted in his own son's death by sending him on alone on such a journey. The turmoil that must be in his mind. Have you ever had something you regretted and it keeps turning? And turning and turning. And I wonder what Jacob did with that robe. I wonder if he hung it up in his room and had to look at it all the time or it was too much to bear. Or every now and then he would take it out and, and think. He's living in a turmoil for what had happened. God does give us permission to grieve lots of different things. The loss of relationship, of jobs, of things in life. There is a time to move on. Let's see what happens here. You see, God, when you boil it right down in a world of uncertainty, is the only sure anchor in a fallen, uncertain world. I didn't have to work at a state hospital in the state of Texas to see how uncertain it is 
day after day of people that fell on the job or children that had an accident or a bus or a car that just day after day after day. We live in the false idea that we're okay. If we're living okay and trying to be safe, we'll be okay. It's not necessarily true. In fact, it's not true. Jesus said we don't even know about tomorrow. There is no other anchor in the world. If you don't anchor yourself in God himself through the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have an anchor. You're adrift in the world of uncertainty. And surely as we live in this place, there is no guarantees for the next hour, the next minute. Nevertheless, the rest of our lives. And so we don't know. And I see people that are quite young, a lot of young people in this room, but I've seen some early 20s have things that are beyond comprehension. I've seen people in their 30s and 40s in this church suffer strokes, heart attacks, different diseases, and in their 20s. And we've had some services here for little children. There's no immunity to that, and this is not morbid. I want you to listen to me. The reason that there's hope in the midst of all this is because there is God. He is the anchor. Psalm 73, verses 26 through 28. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. You see, with God, there's always hope. Meanwhile, God, period. And so because there is, do you have big problems and a small God? Where do you go to relieve your stress? The stress elixir promises it can do it for you right there. Note, it is best not to devise our own plans and then afterwards seek God's blessing. But the word of God says to seek him first and his righteousness. You find security and blessing in him. Why? Because he's unchangeable. Why? Because he's omniscient. Why? Because he's omnipotent. Why? Because he's inherently good, inherently merciful, inherently loving. Everything that we would want as humans is found in God. And he will never fail. And so that anchor will hold. We put our faith and trust in him. Accidents, pain, health issues, suffering, are all part of this human world. And you may not be in the midst of it right now, but once you get engaged, God in his wisdom did something. He did something that was quite different than we kind of anticipated when we maybe were students. A lot of those students, by the way, are in the CLC there putting together hot dogs and chips and those kinds of things. I've already had one, so there's one less. But anyway, (laughs) he devises, you know, different plans than what we think. God could have put 7.7 billion adults on the earth, just like that. No procreation. Saved a lot of diaper money, right? All of that, a lot of effort. But God didn't. He did something to galvanize us together in the area of vulnerability. And it's called then, you get to a certain age, and it's the month of February, and we have a day on the 14th, which is, no, today's Groundhog Day, Valentine's Day, right. You fall in 
Thank you. Love. Fall. In the, why is it fall? Fall's never connected to anything that's much good, right? I was on a flight, but it fell, you know. I was on a ladder, but I... And never mind. And then, if that's not enough, God says, now procreate. And these little things are born, and we love them. Now, if any adult did to you what they do to you, you wouldn't like them. Because about the first year or two, all they do is blank and pee on you, right? That's it. But you fought and you're galvanized and you take them through life. And, and because of that relationship, you get to learn something about the nature of God. God is a God who suffers. You see, no one made more of a vulnerable thing than he did when he shed his blood on the cross because he loved us. He loved us. And God knows suffering. He's well acquainted with your suffering. If your heart's been broken, understand something about God, even though sometimes we think of him as, does God have flesh and bones and skin? No, he's iron. Everything bounces off of him. Jesus looked over upon Jerusalem that rejected him, and he wept. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. The nature, the essence, the character of who, and his attributes are who God is. Jesus Fully God, fully man, showed us what God's like. And so we have the vulnerability of all that taking place in this world. It's part of it. It teaches us something, doesn't it? It teaches us to unloosen our hands on some of these things that are so temporal. So many of the things that we count on, just like these brothers counted on the fact we got away with it. We devised this great plan. We're so far away from home here in Dothan. It's so great to have to be a cistern there. There's a caravan that came by. Everything's working out just better than we could ever want. Like they planned the cavern, I mean the caravan, and they planned for the cistern to be empty. God's providence. Meanwhile, dot, 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 God, right? So, all his sons... Next slide, thanks. All his sons and daughters. Now, ladies, you get off on this one because they weren't in part of this thing, right? But I want to make a point here. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, and the girls did. But he refused to be comforted. His grief is so deep, he can't even receive the comfort they're trying to bring to him. No, he said, In mourning will I go down to my grave to my son. So his father wept for him. You don't have to be a parent to begin to understand the pain that's involved in this. He's expecting Joseph to come back and probably had something else planned and the other sons to come back and now he gets this. He gets a bloody robe. And they try and bring comfort to him and all he can do is people won't even be comforted, these hypocritical comforters. Not the daughters. How did they keep a straight face? Is this your son's robe? Oh, we're so, so trying to comfort him when they did it. Wow. You know God hates hypocrisy. Mark 7, 6, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And trust me, their hearts were far from their father during this episode. It was all about them. Have you made an issue all about you? Meanwhile, God, right? Sons brought this fake 
comfort. But they could have relieved the whole thing. Even at this juncture, if their hearts were pricked just a little bit, go out and meet outside and say, listen, we got to tell dad the truth. This is killing our father. We have got to tell him the truth. Listen, let's pull our money together. We're telling him in the morning, we're heading out. We're going to go back and we're going to ransom him out of Egypt. We're going to go back and buy him back and bring him back here. Dad, Joseph's alive. We'll go ransom him. Could they look at their father and pretend they're bringing comfort to him? You can still make something right now. You still can. There's been some deception in your life or heart. You can still get it right. And it may just be between you and God. And I say may just. That's the most, that's the starting place, the most important place. Get it right. Don't cover it. Don't make the fig leaf, the Adam and Eve mistake that comes through our parentage from back then. Deal with it and get it right. They could have gotten it right. And we see something about the peril of the sinful heart. Look at it. You know the verse. Probably you've seen it. If you don't, here it is in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart. The symbol we see on Valentine's Day, by the way. Hmm? Isn't that something? We see that. Maybe someone one year is going to make that box in the shape of a brain. No, I'm just kidding. And I'm not going to do it. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? When you steer with your feelings, you're going to get steered wrong. Only your feelings. Unless your feelings are anchored in the Word of God. If they're anchored in self-pity, if they're anchored in your own subjective ideas, you will get hurt. You're setting yourself up for utter hurt because the heart will deceive you. Well, they deserve what they're getting. And no, I'm not going to let go. I'll justify it by saying, Pastor, you didn't go through what I went through as a man, as a woman, as a child. It doesn't make any difference. not about me, and it's not about you. It's between you and God and friend. You know how long we're on this earth? Like that. Like that. What are you going to deal with, the temporal or the eternal? What's going to be the issue in life? It's the peril of the sinful heart. Who can understand it? Exactly. Meanwhile, God, in mourning, I will go down to the grave. Joseph says, I'm never going to stop mourning. And, and the word, he used a very specific word here. Didn't say thinking about it. I'm going to be in mourning and dread every day until I die. Be careful what you say. Be careful. Be careful you don't slander God or short change God, that God is working his providence behind the scenes. Meanwhile, God. Jacob was yet to know what joy, comfort, restoration that God had reserved for his future. And the brothers didn't know or the daughters yet either. But he says, he discounts God out of the equation. And I understand sometimes in grief, People can say things like that. I understand. And sometimes the grief isn't for the loss of a person. It's a loss for lots of other things in life. But don't make statements that throw God's providence out of the equation. God may be working in your life somehow. You don't even know how. But you can look back and you can see, wow, that was God. 
You see, in verse 36, as chapter 37 is closing up, one of the most wonderful words, if you forget everything from today, remember this word. It says, meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to whom? Let's see, to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Meanwhile, do you think... Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, that word happened to end up in there because they didn't have another Hebrew word or they wanted to put another extra word to read in the Bible. It's there to let us know, meanwhile, in your situation, in my situation, whatever has happened to you, as awful as it looks, as much as it looks like it's covered up, as much as it looks like it'll end in failure, God is working in his providence. That's what God's saying. Some people have big problems in a little God. If you're thinking God can't work through your situation now, you have maybe too little of God. Maybe. There's people that have left the earth, died without seeing the answer to something, but after they have left the earth, God has worked in that situation. They didn't see it here, but they'll know in glory that God worked in it. It was about 34 years ago, a little longer maybe, I loaded up a car and moved to that great state of Texas, heading off to Southwestern Seminary. Sold a house, getting ready to leave a church that we loved, kids in school, neighborhood we loved, had built a house six months before, beautiful house, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But God clearly told me, you need to go to seminary. You need to go be a pastor. So I went, loaded up the trailer like the Beverly Hillbillies and moved to Texas, right? <laughs> well... Unloaded all of my stuff in a storage unit because found out they thought they had a place in the dorms for it. They didn't have anything in the married dorms. It was mid-year. It's winter in Texas. And the saying, I didn't get it, but when, having lived there, you know the only thing between Texas and the North Pole in the winter is a barbed wire fence. And when that wind comes down there, it gets cold. When I say the wind's there, when is the wind not there? And I was driving around trying to find a place to rent. School's going to be starting up, and it's freezing cold, and it's raining, and it's night. And you know when it gets, you know, the sky, the sky, not as big and bright in Texas? When it's cloudy, it's big and gloomy in Texas. And it's dark, and it's raining so hard, you know when you can hear the drops hitting on the roof of your car? And I had been calling houses. Is this, is this still available? Oh, we just rented that. I know that's not. Or you want how much? I don't want to buy it. I want to rent it, Right? And I pulled in, driving around, trying to find these addresses in a place I don't even know. This before the days, the days of the abacus and the hammer and chisel. There's, there's no cell phone or GPS to work my way around. I was trying to find it through a pathetic map, and I'm lost. And I pull into this back parking lot, and I just begin to cry. I was crying. I said, God, I don't know how I got into this mess. But I'm taking my family, I'm a father and a husband, I'm taking my family across the United States to a place where I don't even know one person. I don't even have a house to take them to. And I felt like the biggest failure, the biggest disappointment. I feel like, God, if you could put a dunce cap on me and levitate me around the world so everyone could see me, I just would own it. I felt stupid. 
felt awful. After I prayed, cried my heart out to God, there was one more number to call than I did. It happened to be a dear woman by the name of Cynthia, a believer. I called her. She said, hey, we've got she said, where are you? I said, I don't know. Let me pull to the front. And lo and behold, that parking lot was Lake Arlington Baptist Church. I said, it's some church here in the middle of nowhere. What is this thing? So who else would have a parking lot in the middle of nowhere? They did. He said, well, you, there's a house for rent not far from that. He said, I, know, I never do this at night, but I'll show you that place. We ended up moving there. It's our first move. Had a house, nice house, got to move in. It was great. But because of that, we started attending that church. It was real close. And because we started attending that church, I called to be on the staff in that church. First, I volunteered. Then I called to be on staff in that church. Because I got to be on staff in that church, started an intern program with a lot of the seminary students. Because I started an intern program with a lot of the seminary students, I got asked to be a field supervisor at Southwestern Seminary. A last-year student, which came to work in our department by the name of Morris Horner, came to work there along with other interns. It was a wonderful time, a great part of my life. Morris Horner was from someplace in Tennessee. And... Uh, loved Morris, served there, did a great job with that. Got a call from a church in North Carolina. I think it was uh, Lawndale Baptist Church. Said, we're looking for a single adult pastor. He's worked with us, gave him a wonderful reference because it was true, a blessing. Came out here, worked with the single adults. Then along the time, the pastor that was preceded me retired. Morris had had me out here for a conference in 1996. I got to preach on a Sunday, be with the single adults. And they remembered that I had been here and said, if God can use Joe, he can use anybody. Let's see, give him, see if he has a resume. And so they had given me a call and they said it wouldn't last, but 1999 came out here. God's providence can take you from depression and tears to incredible places. I didn't know when I was in the back of that parking lot 30-something years ago where that would end up. Joseph didn't know when he's along that caravan going to sleep at night as they would camp for the day where he would be going. But God in his providence had someone purchase him that was connected to the most powerful person in the world. And Jacob didn't know, since he was going to go to his grave mourning and grieving it, that he would have one of the greatest days of restoration and joy in his entire life in front of him. Do not give the devil free rent in your brain to garbage that God has forgotten you. Do not think by what you see in your human eyes today that it's over. That it's done. There's no way this could work because then you believe in too little of God and too big a problem. Can someone say amen? amen? God has got it. You don't need to go to Arizona to get your stress relief. We go to God. And I don't mean that in any cheesy or cheap way. God is there for us, and even when we don't see it, you believe in God's providence because God's no respecter of persons and all the plans of people that may be plotting against you in your work, in your family, in your friends or so-called friends, or in your university, your high school or middle school, or whatever school you're in. God's providence is looking after his children. And it can look like it can only go crashing into, we're going to crash into the wall 
And God can either take that car over the wall and make it fly or go through the wall and not get damaged or just move the wall. Don't give the enemy free rent in your brain. Meanwhile, God. As pastors come forward right now, do you have a meanwhile in your life? Are you in one of those places where you just, I'm there, Pastor, I'm there. I don't know what's to come of this, that, or the other thing. Today, you may want to pray with one of our pastors or deacons. We would love to pray with you about whatever's going on. We, and, and listen, confess right up front. If we had all the answers to everything, we would be God. We know the one like you do that has all the answers. And the word of God says we are to pray with the mourn with those who mourn, uh, laugh with those who laugh. We want to be here for you and with you. Please come forward. We'd love nothing better than to pray with you about a situation and watch God work. I can't tell you how many times it looked hopeless. Meanwhile, God has been working in some ways that were crazy good, just like he did for Joseph. Joseph must have thought, God, I'm going to stay faithful to you anyway, but this doesn't look good. But God. Egypt didn't know they had a ruler coming that would save the entire nation. But they did. No free rent in your brain to the devil. Give God room to occupy your mind, your heart. Take his word that you'd be washed in it and believe in his character, his nature, his attributes, and his very essence. He's watching after you. That's part of our invitation today and part of our response. The second part is this. Today, you may not have a church home. We'd love for you. If you don't have a church home where God may be telling you to find a new church, local body to fellowship with, we'd love to have you here as a candidate for membership. Simply come forward today. We'll present you as a candidate for membership. A new members class will be starting up before you know it. We'd love to have you come to be part of a place where we believe in only one way to salvation. Not our way, not a denomination's way, not religion's way, but God's way. And friend, here's the best news for those who may be coming for membership or those who may not know it. In a simulcast or in this room, you cannot buy your way into heaven. You can't be good enough. This church can't save you. No other system can, but there's a Savior that can and He will. But you have to come on His terms. He's the one who came that first Christmas, Jesus Christ, came to go to a cross where He bled and died because He loved the world. He took our sin to the cross. He suffered our hell on the cross. He bled and died and rose from that grave three days later. His payment, his payment was enough to pay our way into heaven. Listen carefully. The Bible says we're clothed in his righteousness when we believe that he bled and died for our sins and rose again. He did it. Clothed in righteousness of God. Can I ask you a question? What would you add to the righteousness of God that would make it more complete? You know what the answer is? Nothing. And so when you truly become a believer in Jesus, he teaches you how to, how to live as a Christian. You live out of thankfulness. You live out of gratefulness. You live out of obedience to the one that did that for you. That's the free Christian life. It's not doing to get saved. It's being and a Christian because you are saved. It's living that way because of what God's already done, because he loves you. Whatever your decision, I'm going to ask you to stand now. Don't wait. Please come forward. We'd love to hear from you today. Please don't wait.